Good morning to all of you. I'm not sure if what I have to say may make your Sunday evening discussion more simplified or more complicated. I hope it's simplified. I realize it might not be, but uh, I hope it will be a blessing to you. First of all, <clears throat> I'd like to get you thinking. What does this word mean? Can somebody tell me what holy means? What comes to your mind when you see the word holy? Pure. Pure. Thank you. Perfect. Perfect. Thank you. Godlike. Godlike. Good. Set apart. Yeah, getting some good ideas there. Right? All in, all done? Yes? Undefiled. Undefiled. Yeah, that goes pretty far. Anything else? Holy. God. Um, India has holy cows, they tell me. Does that come anywhere close? No. In our modern world today, how is the most common use that you ever hear of holy? Can you tell me? Swearing. Swearing. Profanity. There must be 50 or more holies, right? Some people have holy cows. and I used to work with a fellow that had holy mackerels, God forbid. Some people have holy smoke and things like that. Are we anywhere close to this word of holy? No. So our word holy has been desecrated and denigrated and ruined till we hardly know what holy means anymore. But yes, you fellows have a little bit of an idea what holy means. Now, I'm not trying to offend your intelligence here. When I say, but you don't know what holy means. Neither do I. We do not really know what holy means. You offered some good things this morning, what holy means. You said God and things like that and pure and righteous and And all of those things are okay, but till we're done this morning, I hope that I can stretch your understanding of holy much further than that. Not that I understand it so much, because I I know I don't either. But I'm extrapolating from the things I read in the scriptures, and I see that I don't see. Are you with me? I would like you to turn with me to Isaiah chapter 6. This is a, a lovely passage and it sends, tingles up my spine every time I read it. And I, I know most of you, maybe some of you could even quote this by heart, I don't know. But as every time I read it, I, I get a little tingling up my spine as I read this. Isaiah chapter 6, beginning in verse 1. Isaiah says, in the year that King Uzziah died, I saw the Lord sitting upon a throne high and lifted up and his train filled the temple. Above it stood the seraphim. Each one had six wings. With twain he covered his face 
And with twain he covered his feet. And with twain he did fly. And one cried unto another and said, Holy, holy, holy is the Lord of hosts. The whole earth is full of his glory. And the posts moved at the voice of him that cried. And the house was filled with smoke. That's kind of what holy looks like. Did you get that? Did you feel that? Did you notice in the presence of God how different it is? What happens to men when they see something like this? Hmm? What happens? You're undone. All of a sudden. Completely undone. That's what happens in verse 5. And I said, Woe is me, for I am undone. Because I am a man of unclean lips, and I dwell in the midst of a people of unclean lips. For mine eyes have seen the King, the Lord of hosts. Do you see? Do you see with me this morning why I say we do not understand what holy means? We don't. Have you ever had an experience like this? Have you ever come close to this? No. I don't think so. Anybody here like that? Raise your hand if you, did, if you had an experience like that. No, you didn't. So we really don't know. And what was cried was holy, holy, holy is the Lord. Why did they say that three times? Make you think a little here. <clears throat> Can you translate? Does somebody have something to say there? For the Trinity. Maybe for the Trinity. Yeah. Holy God, Father, Holy Son, and Holy Ghost. Maybe so. But can you translate for me what this is saying? When one seraphim flew or spoke to the other, and he said, holy, holy, holy is the Lord. What was he saying? Can you translate that for me? I, I, I'm having trouble getting a hold of this. Can anyone translate this for me? Now, you know, I like big words like Lyndon used some big words this morning. Thank you for that opening. But this is not a very big word. But this word is probably harder to understand than some of those big words. It's harder to understand. It's so encompassing. It's so beyond us that we cannot quite grasp it. What in the world was he saying? Holy, holy, holy. Um, If you haven't got that yet, let me take you to another illustration. Think of John, closest friend of Jesus, the one who leaned his head on Jesus' breast and he said, Who is it, Lord? The one, the only one to whom Jesus pointed it out right clearly, he said, The 
one. I take the sop and dip it in and give it to him. That's the one. Got the inside secret there, you know. I don't know if he understood it. The close friend of Jesus, the bosom companion of Jesus, the one who must have known Jesus better than anyone else, the one who wrote the Gospel of John, you know, and John 17 and all the things that are in there, and the one who wrote 1 John and 2 John and 3 John. I love 1 John. There's so many things in 1 John that are just so exciting. And John must have understood some of this to write it down. He must have had a better understanding of Jesus and everything than most people. But what happens when John sees Jesus glorified, risen, and in his glory? There in Revelation, chapter 1, I believe it is, where John was on the Isle of Patmos and he heard a voice and he turned and there before him was the risen Lord. What did John do? He fell on his face as he were dead. Completely overwhelmed, he fell at his feet as dead. What does holy mean? Sometimes we say thrice holy God. What do we mean by thrice holy God? Maybe because we read various places in the Bible that they said, holy, 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 whatever that means. It's been recorded several times in scriptures like that. Holy, holy, holy is what they say in heaven. I can think of three omnis, you know, the omnipresence of God, the omnipotence of God, and the omniscience of God, the all-knowing God. Yes, God is all-knowing, all-powerful, all-present, omnipresent. Yeah. Was that the sum and total of God? Absolutely not. There's more omnis than that. <laughs> A lot more omnis than that, right? I, I present to you this morning that that holy, holy means uh, the ultimate of everything that you can imagine. I'm going to write it this way. Holy, holy. Does that help you at all? Completely. Holy to the to the ultimate to the most high reaching expanse of your comprehension and still beyond it. He is ultimately righteous. He is ultimately perfect. He is peerless. <coughs> he has no equal. He is beyond us, utterly beyond us in every way. He is completely set apart. He's sanctified. He's awesome. He's matchless in compassion and in redemption. He's good beyond comprehension. He's merciful. He's worthy. Maybe you have heard the poem, uh, My King. How many of you heard My King? Yeah, that's good. 
A lot of you have. I, I don't. I never get tired of hearing that one. I, I, it, it thrills me every time I, I read it or every time I hear it. So even if you've heard it before, thrill with me again. I'm going to just quickly read it, especially for those who haven't heard it before. The Bible says he's the king. This is talking of Jesus. He's the king of the Jews. He's the king of Israel. He's the king of righteousness. He's the king of the ages. He's the king of heaven. He's the king of glory. He's the king of kings and he is Lord of lords. Now that's my king. David says, the heavens declare the glory of God and the firmament showeth his handiwork. No means can measure his and to define his infinite love. No far-seeing telescope can bring into visibility the coastline of his shoreless supply. No barriers can hinder him from pouring out his blessing. He is eternally strong. He is entirely sincere. He is eternally steadfast. He is immortally graceful. He is imperially powerful. He is impartially merciful. That's my king. He's God's son. He's the sinner's friend. He's the centerpiece of civilization. He stands alone (coughs) in himself. He's august. He's unique. He's unparalleled. He is unprecedented. He is supreme. He is preeminent. He is the loftiest idea in literature. He is the highest personality in in philosophy. He's the supreme problem in higher criticism. He's the fundamental doctrine in true theology, and he's the cardinal necessity of spiritual religion. That's my king. He's the miracle of the ages. He's the superlative of everything good that you could choose to call him. He is the only one able to supply all of our needs simultaneously. He supplies strength for the weak. He's available for the tempted and the tried. He sympathizes and he saves. He guards and he guides. He heals the sick. He cleansed the lepers. He forgives sinners. He discharges debtors. He delivers captives. He defends the feeble. He blesses the young. He serves the unfortunate. He regards the aged. His reward, he rewards the diligent and he beautifies the meek. Do you know him? My king is the key of knowledge. He's the wellspring of wisdom. He's <coughs> Excuse me. He's the doorway of deliverance. He's the pathway of peace. He's the roadway of righteousness. He's the highway of holiness. He's the gateway of glory. He's the master of the mighty, the captain of the conquerors, the head of the heroes. He's the leader of the legislators. He's the overseer of the overcomers. He's the governor of governors. He's the prince of princes. He's the king of kings. And he's lord of lords. That's my king. Yeah, that's my king. My king's office is manifold. His promise is sure. His life is matchless. His goodness is limitless. His mercy is everlasting. His love never changes. His word is enough. His grace is sufficient. His righteousness, his reign is righteousness. His yoke is easy and his burden is light. I wish I could describe him to you, but he is indescribable. He is uncomprehensible. He is invincible. He is irresistible. I am trying to tell you that the heaven of heavens cannot contain him, let alone man explain him. You can't get him out of your mind. You can't get him off your hands. You can't outlive him. You can't live without him. The Pharisees couldn't stand him. They found out that they couldn't stop him. Pilate couldn't find any fault in him. The witnesses couldn't get their testimonies to agree. And Herod couldn't kill him. Death couldn't handle him. And the grave couldn't hold him. That's my king. And he's always been and he always will be. I'm talking about 
He had no predecessor and he'll have no successor. There was nobody before him and there'll be nobody after him. You can't impeach him and he's not going to resign. That's my king. Praise the Lord. That's my king. Thine is the kingdom and the power and the glory. All the glory is his. Thine is the kingdom, the power, and the glory forever and ever and ever. And when you get through with all the evers, then, amen. I never tire of that poem. But with all of that, As wonderful as all that is. I think. That it only scratches the surface. Do you agree? How many of you think that only scratches the surface? There are no words. To completely explain. He is beyond us. Utterly beyond us. Turn to Revelation chapter 5, verse 3. Let's just see something here. It might give you something to extrapolate a little with. Revelation chapter 5. And I saw in the right hand of him that sat upon the throne a book written within and on the backside sealed with seven seals. And I saw a strong angel proclaiming with a loud voice, Who is worthy to open the book and to loose the seals thereof? And no man in heaven, nor in earth, neither under the earth, was able to open the book. Neither to look thereon. And I wept much because no man was found worthy to open and to read the book neither to look thereon. Did you follow all that? There in heaven, there is a book that is so holy that you can't touch it. You can't even look at it. Did you get that? That's what holy means. It's beyond you. You can't even look at this book because it's holy. And one of the elders saith unto me, because he was weeping, he said, Oh, weep not. Behold, the lion of the tribe of Judah, the root of David, and you know who that is, right? Jesus has prevailed to open the book and to loose the seven seals thereof. And I'm going to stop there. But I want you to notice that Jesus is the one who is worthy. And he's holy enough. He's holy, holy. He is completely holy. He is thrice holy, if you please. And you can say, holy, holy, holy is the Lord. And you're right. <clears throat> And Jesus was worthy to not only look on the book, but to pick it up, peel the seven seals, and open it. Would you get a hold of that holiness, please? Uh, That's a little further than we usually go with holiness, isn't it? Yeah? Yeah? 
I'm stretching you to understand something you cannot understand. Do you understand? Yeah. I mean, I can't get this. It's beyond me. Yet I believe it firmly. Uh, I'm trusting you do too, but I have a very good reason for why I'm stretching you. Okay? I, I want you to understand that God... If you can just get a hold of his holiness, if you would just see it, you will be completely undone. Just completely. It happens every time. Every time that man gets a hold of a pinch of this, he is just finished. No arguments left. No pride. Nothing. Yeah, how holy is that? If you read on there in verse, uh, uh, let me see, it's in uh, yeah, chapter 5. Um, yeah, let me read on. Where am I here? Oops, I lost my place. Sorry about that. Let me get it again. The end of chapter 5, after, and I'm not going to read all of these things, but uh, or maybe I will, just a moment. Um, we, I read that one of the elders came and said that, uh, that Jesus was able to open the book. I'll continue reading there in chapter uh, 5 or 6. And I beheld and lo in the midst of the throne and of the four beasts and in the midst of the elders. And this must have been a very holy place. Stood the lamb as it had been slain, having seven horns and seven eyes, which are the seven spirits of God sent forth into all of the earth. That makes me tremble a little. And he came and he took the book out of the right hand of him that sat upon the throne. That must have been God the Father. And when he had taken the book, the four beasts and the four and twenty elders who are in heaven all the time, get that, they're very holy. The four beasts and the four and twenty elders fell down before the lamb, having every one of them harps and golden vials full of odors, which are the prayers of the saints. And they sung a new song and sang, Worthy art thou to take the book and to open the seals thereof. Why? For thou wast slain and hast redeemed us to God by the blood of, by thy blood out of every kindred and tongue and people and nation and hast made us unto our God kings and priests and we shall reign on the earth. Imagine that. And I beheld and I heard the voice of many angels round about the throne and the beasts and the elders and the number of them was 10,000 times 10,000. That's a hundred million and thousands of thousands and millions and millions more. And they were all saying with a loud voice, Worthy is the Lamb that was slain to receive power and riches and wisdom and strength and honor and glory and blessing. And every creature which is in heaven and on earth and under the earth and such as are in the sea and all that are in them heard I saying, Blessing and honor and glory and power be unto him that sitteth on the throne and unto the Lamb forever and ever. And the four beasts said, Amen. And the four and twenty elders fell down and worshipped him that liveth forever and ever. I don't know. Are you tingling a little? I'm just about knocked out of the water. 
Yeah. I'm nearly blown away. How holy is this anyway? I want you to think of Moses. Here's another illustration. You know, Moses went up to meet God. And you know that when he came down off the mountain, his face was radiant. So radiant that he scared the people silly. And so Moses put a veil on his face so that the people wouldn't run away from him. How holy is that? Do you see why I'm telling you? You don't have a clue of what holiness is. I mean, stretch your mind. I I can't get a hold of all that. I don't understand that. And then there's Job. You know the story of Job, don't you? And I, I always love this. By God's definition, not mine, by God's definition, Job was a righteous man. I, yeah, that's pretty special. By God's definition, there was none like him in all of the earth. Yeah, wouldn't you like that to be said of you? By God. And yet, when Job is severely tested, uh, Job begins to waver. And he begins to question. And he begins to say, uh, God, this doesn't make sense. Can you feel the struggle with Job's heart when he had done his absolute best and it didn't add up? And Job's struggling to get a hold of it. And he begins to ask a few questions he shouldn't really ask. And then God comes. And God asks Job a few questions. God just begins to unpack a little bit of his holiness for Job. And you can read that. I'm not going to take the time to read all that this morning. But he asks Job questions like, So, Job, where were you when I created the world? And do you know how the world hangs on nothing, Job? Uh, do you know anything about the Pleiades? Job, do you, even, uh, do you even understand the treasures of the snow that falls on your ground? Job, do you understand... How the stars sing together? Uh, Job. Just on and on and on, right? I can't remember all the questions that God asked him. But after a few questions, God's glory was beginning to become obvious. And what does Job do? He says, I'm done talking. I'm done. Whap. The holiness of God will completely undo you. Do you see that in the holiness of God you are changed? Changed from inside. One more example. Saul of Tarsus. You remember Saul of Tarsus? Tough old fellow. Saul of Tarsus 
struck down on the road to Damascus by a great light. You know, Saul knew exactly what he was going to do. He had a plan. He was going to go to Damascus and he was going to round up these heretics. I mean, these guys that were blaspheming God, they ought to be killed. And he was in full speed ahead. He had gotten the authority to do so. He had everything in place. And he was going to go and get those guys and bring them to their death. That's exactly what he was planning to do. But on the road, God revealed himself to Saul of Tarsus. And a great light shone out of heaven above the brightness of the noonday sun, I believe it says. And a voice came out of heaven and said, Saul, what are you doing? What happens to Saul, this tough old guy? What happens? He falls on the ground. And he says, Lord, who art thou? He didn't seem to even recognize who it was, but he knew by the glory thereof that he had better not fight it. And he says, Lord. Now, again, there are things in... There are concepts that our English language just doesn't quite do justice to. And the word Lord is one of those. That what, what Saul was saying here when he said Lord, I, I don't think we quite get when we say Lord. Lord, Master, whatever. We use those words for other things. And we don't get it. So, to try to help you get a hold of this or unpack on this a little bit, I'm going to borrow a couple words. I don't know that they're any better, but I'm going to borrow a couple words from another language, from Hebrew or Greek. I'm not sure which it is. But uh, how many of you have heard of Adonai? Okay. One of those, I think it's Greek, I'm not sure. One of those words, either Greek or Hebrew, for God. Now, I don't use Adonai for anything else, right? So I don't get mixed up with other meanings. When I think of Adonai, I think of Lord God Almighty, as glorious as I can think. Okay? So whether you use Adonai or perhaps El Shaddai or perhaps Elohim or or something like that, I, I want you to get a word in your mind that is... Peerless. Okay? Get a word in your mind that means holy. Holy, holy, if you please. Okay? And then we're going to use that word. I've chosen the word Adonai this morning to mean holy, holy. Okay. So when Saul is on the road to Damascus and this great light shines upon him and he is struck to the ground, he says, Who art thou, Adonai? Do you get that? And the next thing. God does is tell him, well, I'm Jesus, the one you're persecuting. It's not very smart for you to do that. And the next thing Saul says is, I don't know. What does you want me to do? Did you get that? Do you feel that? I don't know. You see what I'm saying, that in the presence of his holiness, you cannot help but be changed. 
You will be changed instantly in the presence of his holiness when you see it. I want you to seek for that. This tough, ruthless Saul of Tarsus, who is breathing out threats and slaughter, is instantly transformed by the holiness of God. His gig is done. His plans are canceled because he met Adonai. His answer is, whatever you say, Adonai, there is no argument left. Do you see why I say you don't really get it? You see that? I don't really get it. I've never experienced anything quite like that. But it's real. It's as real as you and I. Because I have not seen it does not mean it does not exist. It's real. Perhaps you say, well, I don't really get it. But does it really matter? I'll just wait until God comes along and reveals himself, okay? Well, that's okay strategy for those who are going to hell. Really. And someday, every knee shall bow. Yeah. But that's a little late, isn't it? I think most of you aren't really interested in going to hell, are you? So, this morning, if you've got a little different destination in mind, you'd better be a little more proactive than that. In fact, you have better been a little more proactive than the Pharisees. Because Jesus said to the Pharisees, I say unto you, except your righteousness shall exceed the righteousness of the scribes and Pharisees, ye shall in no case enter into the kingdom of heaven. That comes from Matthew 5, chapter, uh, verse 20. Could you tell me what the righteousness of the Pharisees was like? They were kind of pretty zealous about it, weren't they? I mean, they were detailed. They weren't just sloppy. I mean, they had all kinds of rules about righteousness and what you could and couldn't do. They had a whole rule book of rules and, oh my goodness. Were they interested in being holy? Uh, yeah, indeed. I think they thought that holiness was the most important thing in life. Right? But what was wrong? That's right, their definition. See, holiness, they defined holiness their way. Holiness meant putting big, broad phylacteries on, you know. That was holy. They were not seeing holiness God's way. They missed it. Oh, they were very zealous. They were very religious. They were very strong with what they were doing. Completely missed it. They were doing religion their way, not God's way. Brothers and sisters, this morning, are we in any danger of doing that this morning? Are we? How many think so? Get your hands up because you are. You are very much in danger of doing just the same thing. It's inside of all of us. Yes, indeed. We are very much in danger of doing things like that. Perhaps you wonder why God doesn't just come and to all of us like he did to Saul and you know just kind of blow you out of the water. Well, he could. 
He's able to do that. It's not that he couldn't do it, but he hasn't chosen to do it that way. Because you see, God has chosen that he wants you to choose. He wants you to come by choice. And although he could have made us robots that would just have to respond, he didn't do it that way. He gave you a will. He gave you the opportunity. And he gave you enough of information to make the choice. He told you enough. You are aware of enough to get it. Ponder that. The more you see of the holiness of God, I mean, get this, and the more you ponder on that and and that gets a hold of your soul, the more that happens, the more you definitely want to do what is right and to do his will. And I highly recommend it. When I enter into this part thing of holiness, I, I just tremble. I, yeah, I tremble. Holiness transforms. It does. Do we see in the scriptures anyone who has met the holiness like uh, that I'm explaining here like this? Has seen the holiness of God and has not been transformed by it? No. When they see this, they fall down. I kind of hope that this meditation on righteousness and holiness sort of blows you out of the water. I really hope it does. It does me. And I hope you see God a bit differently now than at the beginning of my message. I hope so. But wait, I'm not done. I've got something else for you this morning. It's like that in, I I don't know much about boxing. I don't watch boxing. I know very little about it. But I am told that boxers have this, you know, one-two punch. You know? The first punch knocks you off balance. And the second punch puts you to the floor. That's about all I know about boxing, by the way. But I'm going to give you a sort of a one-two punch this morning here. And I hope that in a sense that as I've explained to you what it means, what holiness means, I hope that it's landed square enough on your jaw that it's kind of like knocked you off your balance. Because now I'm ready to give you the second punch. You know, like, God is holy. And he says, therefore, be ye holy. Did you get that? That's what God says. He says, Be ye holy as I am holy. I don't know what that does to you, but it has me flat on the ground. And I say, Impossible impossible yeah it knocks me flat it's utterly impossible when men just see God's holiness that puts you on the floor doesn't it but now that you know a little bit more about holiness and God says, that's for you. With men, this is impossible. Men have tried to keep the law for 4,000 years and they couldn't even do that. The law of God could not be kept. And although the law of God is righteous and holy, 
It doesn't come up to this, does it? This is asking for a hundred times more than that. And although you couldn't even do that, yet this is the command of God. In Hebrews chapter 12, verse 14, it says, Follow peace with all men and holiness, without which no man shall see the Lord. It says in 1 Peter chapter 1, verse 15 and 16, But as he that has called you is holy. Did you get that? You understand how that is now? As he is holy. So, just like that, be ye holy in all manner of conversation. Because it is written, be ye holy for I am holy. And you say, I can't, right? <clears throat> yeah, you're right. Isaiah 53, verse 6 says, All we like sheep have gone astray, and we have turned every one to his own way. I also would like you to turn to Romans chapter 3. I've got to read this from the Word today. Romans chapter 3 and verse 10. As it is written, there is none righteous, no, not one. There is none that understandeth. There is none that seek after God. They are all gone out of the way. They are together become unprofitable. There is none that doeth good. No, not one. Their throat is an open sepulcher. Their tongues, they have used deceit. The poison of asps is under their lips, whose mouth is full of cursing and bitterness. Their feet are swift to shed blood. Destruction and misery are in their ways. And the way of peace have they not known. There is no fear of God before their eyes. That's us, isn't it? Yeah. Knocked flat. Right? Knocked flat. But that's the command of God. What are you going to do about that? Well, here's where the gospel comes. It is only, my friend, I'm telling you, it is only as you see the holiness of God, like I've explained to you this morning, and you see that God requires you to be holy like that, that you are wholly undone and you realize that there is absolutely no way you can do this. There is absolutely no trying that you can get done. You are at the bottom. You are flat out. You're done. And I'll tell you what. It is then that you can look up and say, Adonai. Are you getting that? Adonai. It is then 
that the promise comes. It is then that you can see this almighty, all-powerful God that can be stopped by absolutely nothing. That he says, that he says, not me, that God says, my people have all gone out of the way. And there is none righteous. No, not one. There are absolutely failures. Every one of them, they are rebels. Bar none. Yet, I, the Lord, will do something fantastic. I, the Lord, will put into them my spirit. And they shall know that I am God. I will be God to them. I will be Adonai to them. And they shall be my people. That's the gospel. I'm telling you, that's the most fantastic news you've ever heard. And it is going to be God's work. But you've got to get this clear in your mind. This is not something that you have obtained to. This is your inheritance, brothers and sisters. This is your destiny. Not for your righteousness, lest any man should boast. But because Adonai has said so. That's why. Absolutely fantastic. Adonai has said, I will be in them and I will change them. That's something like holiness, by the way. I want you to see That this, this begins with an event. For example, like Saul of Tarsus. Saul of Tarsus was going his own way, doing his own thing, zealous, trying to be righteous, missing it entirely. And he comes in contact with God. And he has his moment of Adonai. And everything changes. Is Saul of Tarsus right now, suddenly after this encounter, is he the Apostle Paul? No. In fact, what does God tell him? When, when Saul is there prostrate, saying, Adonai, what's my next step? I'm done. My plans are canceled. Adonai, what would you have me to do? Does God tell him everything? No. He says, your next step is to go on to the city like you were going before. Only when you get there, you're going to be doing something altogether different. I'm going to send you my messenger and he'll tell you what to do next. That's enough for today. Go on to Damascus. I'll meet you there. Do you know why? That's about all he could take at that time. He gets there to Damascus. And you know the story of Ananias. And God comes to Ananias. And I don't think in his full glory like this, because Ananias didn't fall over. But, you know, God, heal, God, God shields us from his glory pretty often because he knows that his glory knocks us flat and he doesn't want to knock us flat. So God shields a lot of stuff from us and we don't quite get it all, all the time. That's why you, that's why you didn't get it all yet. But God comes to Ananias and he says, um, Ananias got a job for you to do. Um, over there in a certain street, there's a man, Saul Tarsus. I want you to go to see him. Oh, 
Ananias knew who he was talking about. Oh, that guy, he wants to kill us. That was Ananias' first response. God says, no, Ananias. You go. Because I want him. I've got a plan for him. And Ananias says, yes, sir. And he goes, I'd like you to catch how he greets Saul of Tarsus. He comes in the door and he says, Brother Saul? Brother? You're one of us? Brother Saul? Would you do that? To your worst enemy? Or would you put him in a time of proving first? Are you getting it? Brother Saul, the Lord who appeared unto you in the way has sent me to you. Oh, if we could just get that. It would transform us. Brother Saul. Hmm. Still Saul, by the way. Somewhere later, I don't know where, he changed his name to Paul. I don't know the reasons why he changed his name to Paul. I don't know if God changed his name. or I, I don't know what happened there, but eventually we know him as Apostle Paul. Wonderful man. But at this point, he was still Saul. But Ananias considered him Brother Saul. Amazing. I think that has something to do. I may be wrong about this, but I think it has something to do with the holiness of God. I think it does. Oh, I gotta wrap this up. It's so important that we get this right. So important. Men, many, many, many men think they are doing what is holy and righteous and they're making horrible mistakes. I'm going to give you a few to get you thinking. First one, of course, is Saul of Tarsus. We know how utterly wrong he was. He was going to rid the church of these heretics and so on. Totally wrong. The Pharisees, did they not think they were righteous? Holding the standard of God. And they were so utterly wrong that they crucified the Lord of glory in their zeal to do what is right. How can that be? Yeah, that's what happened. Roll the time on a while. During the Reformation, hundreds, thousands, I gave, of people were burned at the stake, beheaded, sawn asunder, all manner of atrocious, horrible things done by who? By the church, if you please. By the people who professed to be doing God's will. How can it be? How can that be? Because they were doing their own righteousness and had not seen the righteousness which is from God. It is so important that we get this right. So important. So many Christians were killed by people who thought they were being righteous. 
They were going to stamp out heresy. It still happens today, by the way. Many people who earnestly want to preserve the church, they do harmful and hurtful things to the people of God and cause many to offend and to leave the path of life. I can only begin to tell you the dreadful, horrible devastation that haps to the people of God by men who think they are doing righteously. Good intentions are not enough. You remember when David was bringing up the ark of God from the Philistines? And they were carrying it on a cart, which they shouldn't have been doing. Should have been doing it otherwise. But they were going on a cart. And the cart was moving along and bumping. And it looked like the ark of God was going to crashed to the ground. And Uzziah was there. Uzziah, I believe it was. Uzzah. Sorry, Uzzah. Uzzah was there. And he reaches out his hand to keep that ark from falling. You won't want the ark of God to fall. And he put his hand out to stop the ark from falling. And he's smitten dead. Because he touched the ark of God and was forbidden to do so. Yeah, that's holiness. I'm telling you that God's way is the only way. God defines the way of life. It's got to be God's way or you're in a bad way. He defines holiness. There would be a lot more to say, but I'm just going to stop here with this. If you're confused with what I said, or if you're wanting this transformation and you don't know how to get it, I'm here to help you the best I can. You can come to me after dismissal and I'll do my very best to point you to Adonai. It is in Adonai that you can be healed.